So we chose the theme for this day long, It's Never Too Late. And uh, the idea of that meaning, start now. This is the moment to turn our minds to really what is of, of most central importance to our lives. And it's very easy in, the, in this world, and I think it always has been, I don't think it's only now, it's very easy to get distracted by the many things that seem to be important that call on our attention. And uh, we can sort of say, oh yeah, I'll, I'll get on with my spiritual practice sometime later, when conditions are right, when I've got more time, when the kids are grown up, when I've finished my job, when I've retired. You know, we can think like that, because at the moment I'm too busy, there's too much going on, so I'll just... Uh, but, when, but it really matters that so later on, when the conditions are all right, I'll, I'll uh, start practicing. <laughs> and, of course, you know, in this world of sangsara, or this world of constant change, beginnings and endings, and, uh, and just by the nature of this world being um, something that draws us out, gets us, gets us engaged and involved, that's how the world is. That time never comes. It's never the perfect time. Or you could say it's always the perfect time, equally. This is the perfect time to uh, put the energy and attention into our spiritual practice. And one of the things I really appreciate about the, the Buddhist practice or the Buddha's teaching is that you don't even have to be Buddhist in order to practice it. <laughs> So it's really about um, finding that place of, of peace, of clarity, of wisdom and compassion and understanding in this life, in this moment, in this situation. And whatever framing you want to do, you can be an, you can be an atheist, you can be a Christian, you can be a Buddhist, you can be Baha'i, it doesn't matter. It's about the actual practice, the inner work that we do. So we can uh, we can have all of the outer garments, you know, as we do as as a Buddhist. You know, we look really like Buddhists, don't we? Um, but if we're not actually doing the inner inner work, it's sort of meaningless. It's just a, it's just another outfit. It's the inner practice that really matters, and that's what the Buddha was pointing to and encouraging us to uh, pay attention to and, and to put our efforts into. So it can be that we, you know, we come across the Dhamma late in our life and then we kind of feel, oh, if only I knew, you know, if only I knew this when I was 20, if only I knew this when I was 15, yeah, or whatever. And, uh, and then we, we kind of waste time in a way re re regretting that we didn't come across this earlier and that we made all those mistakes and we did all those silly things because we didn't realise that we, we, didn't, we hadn't come across this, this beautiful and clear teaching. But it's never too late. This is the time. So we have a friend in, in San Francisco. She started practicing when she was 79. <laughs> she's now 86 and she's just going for it. <laughs> Great inspiration. Constantly learning, constantly letting go, opening transforming and we've known her for about five years and just watching the transformation is so inspiring so it's never too late and 
And also, you know, the Buddha does often um, remind us in the, in, the, in the scriptures, he does often remind us that we never know when our time will come. So, you know, one thing is certain is that we will die. Every, everything that is born dies. Everything, everyone, everything. Even this great earth, even the universe, you know, everything that has a beginning, it goes through its process and it has an ending. Everything. And, you know, when we're at odds with that, we're creating suffering. Because this is the nature of things, this is the way things are. All that has, a, has the nature to arise has the nature to cease. That is, that is the Dhamma, that is the way of things. And we often live as though we're going to live forever. As though there's always going to be a tomorrow. And it, we use it in our language, see you tomorrow, see you later, see you next week. You know, you know we hope to. It would be great to see tomorrow, you know, but who knows? We don't know. So the Buddha really encourages us to use that reflection on, on our own mortality and on impermanence to <coughs> raise the energy, you know, to, to sharpen the edge for our practice. Because <clears throat> if, we, uh, if, we, if we've been practicing, I, I know it, can, it can be like if we're at the beginning of our practice and, and uh, whether we're young or middle-aged or old, it can often feel like, oh, if only I knew this, this sooner. So... There's that element, and then there's the those who've been practicing for a long time. You know, been practicing for a long time, ten years, twenty years, thirty years, and then there's this kind of like, oh yeah, you know, I'm a practitioner. And, yeah, okay, we go sit now. <laughs> <laughs> we start sort of being half present, and I know that for myself. We kind of fall asleep. Oh yeah, we're mindless of breathing. Oh yeah, I know this one. You know, and so there's a sort of slurring of our of our mindfulness of our presence because it's, it's so familiar so in some ways people who are beginning have a real advantage <laughs> because it's new and there's, a, there's, a, there's a, an interest, a curiosity a, a challenge in it and when we've been going for a long time it can get a little bit sleepy, a little bit comfortable familiar, samey and so then we're kind of missing again that, uh, that the aliveness of this moment that the Buddha is pointing us to, the, the, the preciousness of this moment, which, will, which is only ever going to be like this once. It'll never be the same again. Even if we come back here you know, in a month's time and we all decide, OK, let's all come back and sit in the same seats and we'll, it won't be the same. We won't be the same. We, you know, even our mood might have changed or, or we may have lost someone dear to us or... Something will be different. Our bodies would have changed. You know, it's changing all the time. So there's this precious moment. But uh, much of the time we're missing. We're sort of half present. So one of the um, contemplations that helps us to wake up is to remember our own mortality. And uh, I, I had, a, since moving to America, I had a lot of problems with sleepiness and dullness in my meditation practice for a long time. And I started to worry about it a bit. I thought, oh my goodness, you know, this is getting really bad. How am I going to... I mean, I've always had a little bit of a tendency, but this was like very, very strong. And I was wondering, how am I going to do this? You know, come over here with this mission, start a monastery, and 
how am I going to do this if I'm falling asleep in every meditation? <laughs> it's not going to work. <laughs> so um, fortunately I was, I was uh, able to go on retreat early this year and uh, in a, with a teacher who pointed out this instruction of And not that we have to do this constantly, but to do it as a practice in the meditation. If you're feeling sleepy and drowsy, just contemplate this in-breath could be my last in-breath. And when he said that, it was like everything came into clarity. Oh, this could be my last in-breath. And then all of those projections about the future, what I'm supposed to be doing, how it has to be, what I have to do, can I do it or not, they all just fall away because this could be my last breath. And then when this could be my last breath, I want to be here. I want to know what's going on. I want to be clear. I don't want to be fantasizing, dreaming, worrying, remembering. I want to be here. So this is a very, very helpful practice. You know, if, if we're finding our, our practice, if we've been going a long time, we've been practicing a long time, and we're kind of a little bit sort of loose, our practice is a bit floppy, then uh, bring that in. This could be my last breath. Not just like I might die tomorrow even, but this could be my last breath. And then just see whether the mind sharpens up. Now if you have a lot of anxiety, then that might not help. You might start worrying about, oh my God, I'm going to die. <laughs> but it's, it's often the case that people who are a little bit more on the sleepy end of the spectrum, they're not so much... They don't, often don't have so much anxiety and they need that little extra sharpening up. Then people who have more anxiety are often a little bit more on the restless, agitated side of the spectrum. And with that, we need more relaxation, more letting go. So it's important to kind of assess where you are in yourself. And so if, if you're uh, ten, tending to get a little anxious and a little bit too tight, a little bit too striving, then to really notice the out-breath. And with the out-breath, let go. Let go of anything you don't need to be holding on to. Let go of that extra energy that's building up in you, that's turning into anxiety. Just let it go with the out-breath. And you can do that breath by breath, in a sitting, each breath. So of course we're aware of the, you know, of the whole body breathing, but uh, it's important to know one's tendency, you know, which, do I need to go a little bit, do I need to, so it's a bit like um, tuning an instrument actually, are the, are the strings too tight, then I need to just loose them, loosen them a little bit with the out-breath. Are they too loose, tighten them up with the in-breath. And, uh, and then when, when, that, uh, when the mind or the heart or the string is attuned, then you can be aware of the whole, you know, the in-breath, the out-breath, just being with that experience of, of body breathing. And uh, I find, uh, it's interesting that speaking about Anapanasati, because uh, some people will speak about Anapanasati as a, purely as a concentration object. So Anapanasati meaning Anapana is, is um, breathing in and breathing out, and Sati is mindfulness, so mindfulness of breathing in and breathing out, which is one of the Buddha's instructions. And it, you can just use that as a, as a way of concentrating the mind, focusing and concentrating the mind. But you can also use it as, a, as a, um, a reflection, a way of seeing the constant change of things, you know, in, a, in a terms of vipassana. 
seeing the constant change of things, seeing that everything that has a beginning increases to a certain point, then declines and then has an ending. That's the way everything is made in this universe. We haven't yet started to see the decline of the universe. It's still in the expanding stage, so far as we know. But likelihood is that the universe will also follow the same pattern. Who knows? I don't know that. Um, but we see that in our breath. We see the, the, the birth of a new breath, the beginning, the fullness, the coming into fullness of the breath, the reaching a peak. You know, you don't want to keep breathing in once you've, your lungs are full. You want to just stop there. That's good. And then the natural letting go of that <coughs> out breath. And then a point at which it all stops, which is if you can, you know, if your mind settles enough, you find that point where at the end of the out breath where it all stops. And we don't know for that moment if there's going to be another in-breath. It's not sure. And then the body, if we don't make it happen, which we don't need to, if we relax, then the body, so far, up until now, takes an another breath. And there it is again, that cycle. And, there, and then there's the, the increase, and then there's the out-breath, and then there's that moment again of not knowing. We tend to... Uh, overlook those moments because we, we're more comfortable with certainty and we're more, most comfortable when we're in control or when we think we're in control. So often, you know, also when we practice mindfulness of breathing, you, you say to someone, okay, be mindful of your breath, <coughs> then the first thing that we do is start controlling the breath because it's, it's uh, difficult for us to be mindful and not controlling what's going on. So, but the body doesn't need us to breathe it you know, the, the, the breath is doing the body. It's been doing it since we were born. And it will carry on breathing this body into existence until our last breath. When this, when this vehicle that we're borrowing for some time, this body is no longer needed, and we let it go. So to just reflect on that, uh, that constant change within which we live, uh, it's something that often we don't want to really notice. We want things to last. We want the nice things to last. We want the difficult things to go away sooner, immediately, quick. You know, but they, all of it lasts as long as it lasts. And uh, and also just to recognise that the, you know that there is a lot of loss in this realm, in this human realm. You know, we meet. And we part. We we come in. We have we have experiences. We have time together. We influence each other. We uh, you know we bring things into this world, and then we have to let it all go. And it's not so easy. It's not so easy to do that. So uh, in the monastic life, you know, one of the encouragements is to our teacher in England used to say, "Die before you die." So that doesn't mean you walk around like a corpse. <laughs> but it means like recognize that we're going to have to let go of everything. We're going to have to let go of our views and opinions. We're going to have to let go of our body. We're going to have to let go of our loved ones. We're going to ha might have to let go of our mental clarity at some point. A lot of people do. So, you know, rather than holding on to all that as, as who and what I am, we learn to acknowledge in this in this day-by-day -day life that this is changing 
I can't keep hold of all of this. So it's not about uh, letting go, it's not about getting rid of or denying or pushing away, it's about knowing that it's changing, knowing that this is not, I can't build anything on this. I can't really build on this, uh, even even on our own minds, amazingly, even though we do. But uh, it can be it can be really clear and bright and and, and speedy minded, and then something happens. You know, maybe for a woman we come into menopause, and then the mind gets more maybe more confused for a while, or uh, can have an accident. Or I was hearing about Bhante Gunaratana, this uh, monk in Thailand, uh, in the, in America, who's a Sri Lankan monk. He's now in his eighties. And when he was young, he had this photographic memory. He was really brilliant. He could remember everything. He could, he could read all the scriptures and he could just remember them, regurgitate them. And brilliant. And everybody was like, whoa, you know, he's really good, he's really brilliant. And so he had this pride about his brilliant mind. And then one day, he pushed it too far. He, did, uh, he joined with some other young, when he was young, some other young monks to do this uh, all-night all chanting that they do in, in Thailand. It's called Mahaparit. It's usually a, there's a rotation of monks and they chant the, these protection chants through the night, all through the night, and, but not the same people doing it all night. This One will do it for a while and then somebody else will take over. And he and these young monks, they felt like, oh, you know, we want to do it the whole night. We want to go through the whole thing. We don't need anyone else to take over. We're going to do the whole thing. So he's for hours and hours and hours chanted until his kind of mind blew a gasket. <laughs> And after that, he couldn't. He lost his photographic memory. He's still quite a brilliant man, actually, but he lost that. And then he recognised like how much identity he had around that, even though he's quite young. He saw how much pride, how much identity he had around this brilliant mind. But then he lost. He never got it back. So uh, you know, all of these things—they're—they're—they're they're, they're temporal. And then there's the. The cultivation of the heart, let's say, the cultivation of the heart-mind. Um, you know, the, the, what we're doing in our inner life, our inner work. So we can accumulate things on a material level, but we will have to be parted from them at some time. And the, we sometimes translate that into our spiritual practice, that we need to accumulate. You know, we have to accumulate a lot of strong concentration, or um, a lot of merit, or a lot of uh, knowledge, you know. And all of those things are good, but they're also temporal. So uh, the real (coughs) fruit of the path comes not through accumulating, but through letting go, through relinquishing. So and and some it can be like a, it's just a simple letting go, or it can also be a letting go into generosity, a letting go into kindness, a letting go into compassion, a letting go into seeing the the truth of the way things are. So like a true wisdom that isn't the same as what you read in the books. It's not even if you're going directly to the scriptures. That that um, the knowledge that you get through the scriptures is like a map it'll guide you on your way it's, it's really precious but if you're not walking the if you're not actually taking the journey you're not, it's not going to take you anywhere 
or it won't take you very far. It might take you to the point where you know that you want to go in that direction, but you've actually got to take the steps. So, um, you know, as we walk the, the journey of our spiritual path, what we find is again and again we have to let go. We have to relinquish. We have to let go of our, our sen- yeah, the sense of who we are. It changes. The sense of who we are is not static. It changes. And as we cultivate the practice, it changes more. So we have to let go of those old perceptions of ourselves that maybe hold us back. And, uh, and then we have to let go of our views. We might have really, I had a lot of strong views when I came into the monastery. <laughs> and then gradually, gradually kind of realise, oh, that's just a view, you know. It has to be let go of. Got to let it go. It doesn't mean you end up being kind of wishy-washy doormat. In fact, you, if anything, you have a deeper strength and conviction and uh, knowing by, by tuning into the truth than you do by holding on to a view or an opinion or a position. And we have to let go of, uh, we have to let go of limiting factors. I think it's very hard for us to do that. We, we like to kind of it's, it feels safe in some ways to keep recreating the limiting factors of our life. You know, well, I'm not very good at that. I can't really do that. And that's why it's very important to have sangha, good uh, or spiritual friends, who can remind you that uh, the way you perceive yourself may actually not be the way you are. That's, that's very important. And even if you were like that once, maybe like actually you've moved on now, and you can let go of that sense of who you are and move into a bigger space and it can be a little bit scary for us to do that to actually take on the the true potential that we have as uh, spiritual beings so it's, it's very important to have people who can mirror that to you to us and uh, we have to let go of our dreams at some point you know we, we might realize some we might uh, have to let go of others I've certainly had to, you know, not exactly let go of my dreams, but, but um, you know, have a certain idea about how things are going to be, where they're going, what's going to happen, and then at some point you reach a brick wall and you realise, oh, you know, that was my idea, but it wasn't everybody else's. <laughs> it's not going that way. And then that can be very distressing. You can feel like, oh my goodness, you know, it's all, I've wasted my time, I've just been going in the wrong direction for so many years, and... But then you just need to turn around and look in a different direction. You can keep the same aspiration, but you just look in a different way. And if it's a real true intention, true aspiration, then doors will open, way, the way will open if you're patient. So we have to let go of, of so many things, and also we have to let go of our relationships to people. You know, people we love pass on, they die. People change. So in, in the monastic life, you know, there, there are people who I thought would be nuns forever who've disrobed. And then it's like, you have to let that go. They're still alive, still keep, keep in touch and not die, but in terms of our community or the sense of how it could be, it's like, well, no, it's not going to be like that now because those people have, have changed direction. And this is the way the world is. It's like that. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, as uh, Ajahn Samodhi often used to say, this is a realm of loss. 
you know, it's a sense realm, it's a realm of the senses where we're, we're touched by things, we're, we experience, we, we enjoy, we're fulfilled by, you know, the, the experiences of our senses for some time. And then we're left with this reality of constant change. So as long as we're at odds with that, we're going to inevitably suffer. We'll try to create a world that's stable in a, in a realm that is not stable. And uh, the more we can really be attuned to the changing nature of things, the more presence, ironically, the more intimacy there is with life, and uh, the, the more freedom. And I say that as someone who's learning to do it, not who's a proficient. But I do really see the difference when we're, you know, when we're attached to an idea or, or to a person or to a, a plan. There's this kind of trying to make things certain in, a, in an ever-changing and uncertain world. And when there's a clarity of intention and knowing that, you know, this present moment influences the future. The future hasn't been decided yet. It's decided by what we do now. What we do now creates the future. Then, uh, you know, then there's more of a sense of curiosity and presence and potential, and, it, and it's 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 not so heavy. So we can't know what the future will bring. But we can, if we're mindful, influence what is happening now in a, in a good way. And the more energy we put into transforming our own mind, our own heart and mind in the present, um, and our relationships, you know, the way we relate with others. So, uh, you know, the gradual practice of transforming, say, greed into generosity or irritation into kindness or patience or anxiety into uh, energy for life you know as we kind of transform those little by little transform those uh, qualities of mind then uh, we're also transforming our relationships around we're influencing the world around us so uh, now we all have the same potential and the Buddha taught the Dharma because he saw you know, there are human beings who can realize the Dharma. Those, any of us who are here today are interested enough to spend the day sitting in meditation, listening to teachings, you know, instead of all the many other things you could be doing. There's a, there's a, there's a calling, there's an interest, there's a, there's a recognition of the heart, wanting to take it deeper, wanting to understand more deeply. So the Buddha taught the Dhamma for people like us who have enough interest to, to, to take a step towards it and to have a look and then to uh, apply the teachings and then to keep applying it again and again and again and again and again and again because we forget again and again we get distracted again and again we, we fall into our old patterns again and again and that's why we have to keep on remembering again and again getting up again stepping into it again and never giving up 
and they're never giving up. And that's not in a dogged way of like, never give up, got to get enlightened before I die. <laughs> not in that way, but in a, in a coming back, coming back to this. And all that this entails, you know, the, the sorrow, the beauty, the, the inevitability of loss, the, the great potential, all of it. So opening to it all. So if you ever feel discouraged, you know, there's a couple of things I want to say. If you, if you, feel, if you ever really think like, oh, I really did start too late, you know, I'm, I'm too set in my ways, I'd like you to think of our friend in San Francisco. <laughs> he started at 78 and was going strong at 86. And uh, also, I, one thing I find very encouraging is just to reflect on those past and present in this world who have, you know, applied this practice and, um, and really, you know, broken through to a huge degree or to a little degree or to a huge degree. So, so I know that there are people who say, oh, it's not possible to get enlightened these days. An interesting idea. Um, but, uh, and, it's, and it, they say it takes one to know one, so I'm not being enlightened <laughs> myself, but they know. But uh, certainly I have had the good fortune to meet people who have really seen through a lot of the illusion of this world. And uh, one monk in particular comes to mind, Mahagosananda, who, despite incredible hardship in his life, incredible, you know, basically, you know, a, a Cambodian monk who um, left Cambodia to go to Thailand to practice with a teacher. And as a young man, you know, who was practicing to be a monk, and, or as in, in the monk's robes, and uh, the whole disaster in Cambodia started to happen. And he was hearing about it on the radio and feeling really afraid for his country and his uh, family. You know, when the, the Khmer Rouge was starting to uh, kill people off and it was this kind of horrendous situation going on. And he asked, he said to his teacher, I, I must go back, I have to go back to my country. And his teacher said, wait, stay here, keep practicing. And then you'll have something really valuable to give to your country. If you go back now, you're just going to be part of the mess. So he had very deep faith in his teacher. And he did stay in Thailand and he did keep practicing. And he went through enormous grief, weeping, sobbing, and huge grief. And then at some point he recognized, you know, the world is like this. Not that it's right, not that it should be. The world is like this, this is happening. And uh, through his practice, he was, he was able to really root out the, um, any anger, bitterness, resentment, uh, greed. And uh, he was a very beautiful, radiant being. So this man, you know, he found when he, after the whole disaster kind of calmed down, it's still pretty awful, actually, in Cambodia, I think, but after that real terrible time, the, the killing fields and all, he discovered that, that every member of his family were, had been killed, 
his uh, his um, country was in complete design, you know, mess, complete mess. Temples had been destroyed, and you know there was every reason to feel angry and bitter. And he would go back. He would lead people on walks through his country, and he would give out these little slips of paper with uh, in, written in Khmer in the, in, the, in the Cambodian language, saying, "Hatred never ceases through hatred; only through love can hatred cease." This is the eternal law. So he would hand them out to people who had every reason to feel hatred and anger and bitterness. He would give them out to people, reminding them of their potential. Don't get caught. Don't be a victim. Don't get caught in the, the poison of this world, even though it, you, you've, you've had to experience so much suffering. Don't, don't let it eat you up. Transform, you know, transform your heart. And he was an example. He was a living example of it. He wasn't just talking about it. And uh, I was fortunate enough to meet him, I think, three times in my life. And each time, you know, just, just being in his presence, so bright, radiant, you know, very, very present, playful being. And, uh, and so, I, so that's also can be an encouragement. It's like, okay, but if he could do that, in those circumstances, can I work with this? Can I work with this difficulty, this irritation, this annoyance, this regret, you know? Can I work with this? Probably. So I find that a helpful uh, support also to, to recollect. It's like recollection of the Sangha, re recollect others who've, you know, worked through situations that maybe either similar to what we have or much more difficult than what we have and that they have worked through it and not just kind of survived but transformed and come out shining at the other end. So we all have that potential. And sometimes it's more difficult when things are uh, just small and niggly than when they're really big. Sometimes when things get really big we just rise up and when they're small and niggly we don't. <laughs> so we have to kind of keep remembering, keep working at those little things. And, uh, and moment by moment transform our lives and, t and redirect and you know, guide our, li our lives in the right direction. And as we do that, we become a, a, a source of safety for others and a source of, can be a source of inspiration, encouragement for others. So we're, you know, we're transforming our own life and those around us. And I just want to mention, because um, it sort of feels funny not to, that you know, also at this time that we're living in now, you know, we are in a time of uh, where a lot of our unskillful actions as a human race are really coming to the forefront. And uh, although there are still people who are in denial about climate change, you know, we are obviously experiencing extreme climatic. I like the Canadian term, climate weirdness. <laughs> it's happening. You know. So you know, this, is, this is the result of, of past carelessness, greed, ignorance, and, you know, and present 
inability to change direction. <clears throat> so, uh, in terms of the spiritual path, it's never too late. And in terms of uh, the, you know, the uh, conditioned realm, who knows? We don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. So, uh, you know, how we meet our experience, how we meet life, it's never too late to meet life in a skillful way. It's never too late to change our ways, to wake up, to become more conscious. But, uh, you know, we are all mortal beings and uh, we, there's no way that we can live forever or stay young forever. And uh, so part of this practice does need to be meeting the reality of that and, uh, and whatever that brings up. You know, whether it makes us want to just go to sleep or get really stressed out or try to con- make sure we live as long as we possibly can or, or whether we uh, feel like we want to really be present with another person or transform what we can, be generous. You know, there's, there's many ways that we can meet that. So to, to, to bring in the reality of our mortality you know, like and... Um, See what it brings up and see how can we respond to that in the most skillful way, in a way that will be most beneficial to ourselves and others. Not just human beings, but uh, living beings, sentient beings. So I'd like to offer that this morning. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.